This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello and welcome to Fourth Estate, a show about journalism. We're coming to you from 2SER in Sydney on the Gadigal lands of the Eora Nation and right across Australia on the Community Radio Network and, of course, directly to your device across the globe via podcast. I'm Monica Attard. Well, if you spend any time on Twitter in the last seven days, you'll know there's been a huge stoush unfolding about journalists daring to ask questions at Dan Andrews' daily media conferences. Many thought the questions were rude or missing the point of the lockdown, but a very vocal group saw these questions as part of a broader partisan attack on a Labor Premier who's just doing his job in the toughest of circumstances. Well, today we're going to ask, did journalists overstep the mark or are they doing what they're meant to be doing, which is holding the powerful to account and bringing the truth into the light of day? We'll also ask, is social media distorting how people now view the world? We've long suspected we might be, and perhaps we finally are, trapped in our own hyper-partisan enclaves where we view everything from the outside as an attack on our group. The big question now is whether these walls of social isolation can actually be broken down, or maybe this dialogue on social media is a sign of a healthy and functioning democracy and journalists should simply suck it up. Well, to help us through this minefield, we're lucky to have two of the country's finest journalists and thinkers. Gay Alcorn is the Melbourne editor of The Guardian. She's a three-times Walkley Award winner and has been the US correspondent for The Age and Sydney Morning Herald, where she covered the 2000 presidential election and the 9-11 attacks. She's also been a deputy editor for The Age and editor for The Sunday Age. And also joining us is Paddy Manning, contributing editor, politics at The Monthly. Paddy has worked for Crikey, The Australian, The Australian Financial Review, and The Sydney Morning Herald and The Age. He's written a number of books, including an unauthorised biography of Malcolm Turnbull, and his new book, Body Count, How Climate Change is Killing Us, is out now. Paddy also lectures, I'm very pleased to say, in journalism at UTS. Paddy, welcome, and gay welcome. Well, every day, like a political Sisyphus, Dan Andrews has been holding long, detailed media conferences where the state and the country are told the grim news. Each day, we hear the tally of new cases of COVID-19 and the stark news about the deaths. There's health advice, policy announcements, and then, of course, there's time for questions from journalists. These press conferences are long. They're exhaustive and, I'm guessing, exhausting for everyone involved, more particularly Dan Andrews, who certainly looks like a man with the world on his shoulders. At the media conference on Thursday of last week, the Australian's Victorian political journalist Rachel Baxendale pressed the Premier about the failures of hotel quarantine, which arguably led to the country's worst outbreak of COVID-19 and has put the entire state in protracted lockdown. The exchange between journalist and Premier led to a heated debate on social media about the timing 
and of course the motivation of the reporter's questions. Indeed, on Friday, Rachel Baxendale tweeted, I temporarily deleted the Twitter app off my phone yesterday afternoon because I simply didn't have the time or the mental energy to do my job and absorb all the mentions, direct messages, emails, texts, calls, WhatsApps and Facebook messages coming in, good, bad or otherwise. So, Gay, I'll start with you. Yes, Victoria is in a dark place at the moment and clearly the government is doing its best to deal with an unprecedented situation. Hate to use the word, but I think it's it applies in this situation. But the hotel quarantine debacle is a contentious one, despite the daily deaths and the high number of infections, daily infections. A journalist's right to put all niceties aside and go into an Andrews presser and ask those kinds of hard questions. I think they're absolutely right to do so. I mean, this is a really complex situation we're in, and I know that there are a lot of people who think, look, let's just focus on we're in the middle of this pandemic, we're in the middle of stage four lockdown, it's painful for everyone, and the public health message shouldn't be, you know, over overtaken by other things. I, I sort of, I get that, and I get the sort of the, the trauma that a lot of people are going through, but it is absolutely right for journalists at the same time, in my view, to to to, to question Daniel Andrews uh, about how we got here, and the hotel quarantine issue is a incredibly important one that we know led to at least a, a lot of these cases. In the same way as the media, I think, should be scrutinising the federal government over age care. I, I know it's kind of sensitive, and I know people get upset with journalists, particularly on on social media, about why are you being divisive or seemingly divisive, or why are you sort of asking these tough questions when we're all just trying to get through the pandemic. Mm. But look, I, I was in the United States after uh, 9-11. It's a very different circumstance, but there was this mood of journalists should not question anything at the moment because uh, that's somehow treacherous. It is not treacherous for journalists to, 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 to question and to probe and, and issues that led us here. And even fair game on the issue of transparency with this inquiry that's on foot at the moment? Yes, I do think so. I mean, the 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 inquiry's been set up, and I think that's a good thing into hotel quarantine. Um, but you know, as the, as the head of the inquiry, Jennifer Cote made very clear that it's it's uh, just just because there's an inquiry on doesn't mean that people can't answer questions that they know the answer to. Mm. Uh, and the inquiry doesn't report for some time. And you know, in my view, Dan- Daniel Andrews has from the very beginning. Perhaps should he, he should have said. I'm sorry, I made mistakes, now let's get this done. But he has been resistant to answering questions that he clearly knows the answer to, like who made the decision yeah. to, to use private contractors for quarantine. So I think the journalists, even though it's ugly to watch sometimes, and I do think there's been some, um, we can talk about this later if you want, some really, you know, I, I think uh, irresponsible or inflammatory journalism in the mix of it all, mm. but the journal, journalists are right to ask these questions in my view. We, we will get to that, Gay. So, Paddy, can I come to you at this point? Do you think it would have been controversial if a journalist from, say, Nine or The Guardian had pressed Dan Andrews on what went wrong in quarantine? Not as much. Mm. And um, I think that is part of the problem. Um, While I agree with everything that Gay has just said um, and have a lot of sympathy for 
uh, Rachel too, and I think a lot of the backlash on social media was actually outrageous uh, on Twitter in particular, mm. um, and you know went for her for her personally um, in a you know both getting getting their facts wrong about you know what was her relationship to you know certain members of the Liberal Party um, and um, and which she then had to deny on Twitter, um, but also. Uh, you know, it's just the stock standard um, trolling that um, I think, you know, we're just seeing too much of um, and that doesn't seem to be, you know, it doesn't seem possible to kind of restrain it. And uh, and so, yes, I, I have, I agree with Gay that um, the questions were legitimate and I agree um, and, I, and I think have a lot of sympathy for Rachel. But I also think uh, that news has taken a kind of, party line um lately mm. um and particularly the australian uh in a way that is itself controversial and so the paper has unfortunately become part of the story and you know i mean everyone from former prime minister malcolm turnbull you know you've got two former prime ministers now uh, including kevin rudd um you know rudd calling for a royal commission into news limited uh, Prime Minister Malcolm, ex-Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull saying that News Corporation operates as a political party. Mm. Um, you know, you've got to... Um, we've, we'll actually come to that question yeah. a little bit down the track and it is a really, really big issue. But but just in relation to Rachel and, and her work, twins seem to take the view that this was, was not hard-nosed journalism, that there was a political dimension to her line of questioning because... She was a journalist for the Australian newspaper. And, and it seems to me that that's unfair in the extreme because despite the problems that some people may perceive the Australian has, it does have some very good journalists and we can't accuse them all of simply towing a line, can we? No, absolutely not. Um, but, you know, people do and um, people have taken a harsh view of um, news and and its own agenda and the mm-hmm. fact that it's pushing an agenda. And unfortunately, uh, it's a long stand. Well before Rachel Baxendale had a clash with Andrews in a press conference, uh, there's been a long-standing critique that, for example, the way um, the Oz goes for Daniel Andrews in Victoria or Anastasia Palaszczuk in Queensland is completely different to the way it handles, you know, Gladys Berejiklian mm-hmm. uh, in New South Wales. Although you know, it was New South Wales with the Ruby Princess that really, you know, spread initially um, spread this virus all over the country. Mm. And, um, and, and so all I'm saying is that there is a context to the reaction to, um, you know, Baxendale's yes. uh, turnout at that, at that press conference and you can't ignore it. No, no. Uh, and, no, and so the answer to your question is, is if it had been someone from Nine or the ABC, uh, there wouldn't have been that that same level of animosity because because I think there is a fair criticism, not an irrational trolling criticism, but a fair criticism uh, of um, of news and the Oz that they are they are behaving in a partisan way. So Gay, can I come to you then? Are you, are you okay with some people thinking that if you work for the Australian or the Guardian for that matter? that the type of question you ask at, at, a, at a media conference will necessarily reflect the general editorial or political tone of your newspaper? Uh, 
just to take up one little point that Patrick made, I mean, I, I largely agree with him. But look, I mean, I wrote a column a couple of weeks ago that I thought was, you know, mildly critical of Daniel Andrews, particularly over um, quarantine. And honestly, I've never seen such a reaction on social media in terms yeah. of you know people calling for my sacking. To be honest, so there's a very highly um, a, 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 an emotional thing that's going on here that people think this is not the time to criticise. There's a very strong pro Andrews element on on social media so mm. I don't think it's just um, the Australian but I, I think we are in an era now where you are judged partly by your by your masthead and you know in, from the Guardian readers some of them anyway not all of them I don't think social media is reflective of most people at all mm. but how dare the Guardian journalist yes. you know, have any critic, criticism of a of a um, of a Labor premier but the, the, I, I take up um, Patrick's point about News Corp. I mean, really, you had a week or so ago a piece that they ran by Dennis Shanahan that said, you know, a huge front page piece saying Victorians' own estimates obtained by the Australian said something very different about a, a, a much more increased rate of cases. Now, that that wasn't true as far as we know. I mean, that Victoria said they'd never seen this modelling and, and mm. neither had Brendan Murphy. Now, there's they also, I think, the Oz linked the Black Lives Matters protests to increases in cases in Victoria that just wasn't established. Yeah. So, you know, the, so there, I, I do think that's an issue and I agree with Patrick entirely and in some ways we're <laughs> all caught up in that. But I also am trying to say that it's not just the Oz that is being hammered for any criticism at all. There's something emotional going on here that is rare that we are in the middle of this crisis. Can we, you know, a lot of people think, can we just focus on not try and distract people or or politicise this too much until we get through it. Um, that's happening here as well too, I think. I mean, all of those all of those uh, disparate pieces actually form um, a, a terrible uh, storm of distrust. And I think that's the area that I'd like to actually get into next because nothing in this spectacle, both the Baxendale one and the Shanahan piece, would particularly enhance people's trust in what we do as journalists. And certainly on Twitter, as, as you've pointed out, Paddy, trust in news limited journalism is abysmally low and the debate has become hyper-partisan. I'm interested to know what you both think is at the bottom of that phenomenon and, and, and in fact, if it's deserved. Trust in journalism. About, about trust. Well, I mean, as we all try to argue, we're not all, it's not a monolithic group. The media is not a monolithic group. But we are, um, and if you look at all the surveys, the trust in journalism is low. And But I do think, and I agree with Patrick, that that News Corp... Patty. Um, oh, Patty, sorry, Patty. <laughs> that News Corp uh, has been going for Andrews uh, in, a, in, I think, a quite a partisan way right back to the times when he was actually arguing for tighter restrictions. They were saying that was that was terrible and that, you know, we were holding up the economy and so on, or Victoria was, and they discontinued it in in, in what appears to be, by reading it, a, a sort of a, 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 a partisan way. And so that sort of influences all of us in some ways. I mean, it's a, mm. such a dominant organisation, it, it, it taints all of us. 
it's a fast-moving story. We're making mistakes. We're trying to keep up with something that's incredibly um, complicated. Um, and but, but I think a lot of journalism has actually been good. That's been scrutinising what's happened at quarantine, what's happened in aged care. Uh, that's been solid. And and I think you know, I don't think we would have had an inquiry into quarantine without the media, to be honest. So also, well, can I can I ask you both? Then, do you think that the daily presses are helping matters or, or, or do you think it's muddying the waters a little bit? Um, two things. I think the daily presses um, in the middle of a crisis, you know, with my cynical journalist hat on, have been great for leaders, um, to be honest. It's all eyes on them and they get the assembled, you know, relevant journalists in a room and uh, they bond, mm. yeah. I reckon. And um, and I'm sure of it in the at the federal level. I'm not a member of the you know press gallery in um, you know Victoria. Um, I'm a member of the press gallery of the federal parliament. Uh, but uh, you know, so I wasn't there in the room with um, you know Andrews and Baxendale, and I haven't been to any of those physical press conferences. Mm. I actually haven't been either physically in Canberra. I've been in, based in Sydney. Um, tuning into the press conferences in Canberra, and I think I've missed out on something. I can tell that the that the gallery and the prime minister have bonded, and um, in a way, and uh, and so I think one of the reasons why Rachel Baxendale's kind of hard questions to Andrews stood out is that because for the last you know X weeks and months we've had. we have had a sense of common purpose in a crisis and we're all in it together. And the important thing here is for journalists to get the very clear public health message out, you know, uh, to the community. And, um, and there's been an acceptance of that, you know, the virus moves fast and that responses necessarily, you know, um, speed trumps perfection and responses necessarily might be imperfect initially uh, and that policies might need to be made up on, on the run and adjusted as we go. And, you know, there's been a whole new set of, you know, Parliament may not be able to sit, um, normal accountability mechanisms don't apply. Uh, you know, there's been a whole lot of ways in which, um, you know, the opposition becomes irrelevant. Uh, you know, there's been a whole lot of ways in which these long press conferences in the middle of this pandemic have, I think, played to incumbent leaders of both stripes, state and federally. Sure. Uh, so but, but, are you, but are you also saying in there that there's a difference between the way Scott Morrison is treated in these press conferences and Dan Andrews is, g- given that Andrews stands up every day to, to talk, Morrison doesn't? Um, yes. Cautiously, yes. Um, you know, if, it's a, uh, if I have to you know, put me on the spot, I would say yes, I think so, and I think that that is partly... Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure um, wh- why that would be. Why, why would they be going harder for Andrews? Except that Andrews, you do, like, as Gay was saying, um, you know, he went hardest of all premiers and, in fact, harder than the Prime Minister. And, in fact, it was his action along with Gladys Berejiklian in New South Wales that forced the Prime Minister to take the pandemic more seriously and to, you know, get tough on um you know, lockdowns and social distancing restrictions and so forth and closed schools and, and you know, a whole bunch of different measures back in March. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so I think that I think and I think that because 
partly because, sadly, News Corp has a does seem to have a partisan agenda. He has been the butt of um, a kind of critique uh, from those on the right uh, politically who believe that a certain number of lives, um, you know, may need to be sacrificed uh, to save the economy. Um, you know, in the in, as we confront this um, pandemic, and that's been a steady kind of bubbling sure, along but, under but, the but, surface argument. But, but then, in in the mix there, go. Why does Twitter suddenly feel as though it's its role um, to correct that, to correct that thinking, to uh, to stand up, you know, to to stand up for Dan Andrews? Well, I don't know about your Twitter feed, but but mine mine is dominated by uh, uh, progressives. And there's certainly in this um, uh, pandemic, there has been a uh, an unusual, I think, it's always there, but a very, very strong uh, support for, for Dan Andrews. And if you question Dan Andrews in any single way, you are, you know, encouraging the pandemic. I mean, I actually love his press conferences. I think they're really interesting. Realistically, mm-hmm. I haven't seen anything like this before. They've almost, I, I take Patty's point about the bonding, a little bit that's happened, but also... It's, a, it's become a briefing where you do get into some of the complexities of the science and the health response from the chief health officer or the deputy. Um, but, but, and so I, th- I think they're very, very useful and, and different than that I've seen before. They're, they're a little bit less than the, the, um, the kind of combative thing we're used to, which I think really turns off people anyway. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons I think that he's getting so much um, flack is because one of the criticisms that come on Twitter is, why don't you go after Scott Morrison the same yeah. way? Why aren't you holding him accountable for aged care the same way? He doesn't hold an hour or, you know, there was a press conference last week that went for nearly two hours. He doesn't hold him. He cuts him off pretty quickly and doesn't take follow-up questions from, you know, people he don't, doesn't like. So I do think journalists are trying to ask him those tougher questions. But with Andrews, he takes pride in that I will stay here until your questions are exhausted. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is very unusual. I think it is. I, I really like them. I think that they're in a in a in a in a in a, a t- genuine crisis like we're in now. It is comforting. I take Patty's point that maybe it's good for him too. But in a sense of democracy or citizens or in a crisis, I also think it's 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 a good thing. Twitter is Twitter. I, I like Twitter. The fact that it holds us to account. I like the fact that it says you're wrong. It does. You know, I like its pushback. Yeah. But on this, you know, I was a bit surprised at my own column to basically said, well, I'm a. I don't even know if I read the full column, but anything that might question Dan Andrews at all, there is a, an element on Twitter, not everyone, but an element that is just you know, really, really, really critical. Whereas if I talk to people outside the Twitter world, which is a small world, you know, there's a lot more nuance about that, that people are, you know, upset about what's happened. But I do think there's a very strong feeling too that, look, we actually have to get through this. Can this, could could some of this criticism from, you know, local politicians here or whatever actually damage people's commitment to keeping to the rules and keeping to the, you know, trying to sort of get through this, this terrible thing that's happening now. So it's it's it's. I think it's a quite a compl- complex thing psychologically that's going on as much as anything else. Mm. Uh, uh, yeah. Sorry, Patty. Go on. Well, I was just going to say that one of the things um, I had my own experience on Twitter the other day when I was watching Media Watch and they did a little segment um, on some of the abuse after Lee Sales, um, you know, tweeted some of the abuse that she got as a you know matter of course, um, which was highly kind of sexualized and 
uh, sexist. And um, and I tweeted, retweet. She said uh, Twitter should, you know, um, ban anonymity to stop the trolling. Mm. And I retweeted, I agree. And yeah. um, and then copped a a um, huge Shall backlash from Twitter. Yeah. Uh, and some of it was constructive and and helpful. Um, which was that people saying to me, well, anonymity has been very useful for voices that otherwise don't get a look in, um, wh- whether that's people working in the public service or elsewhere higher up who might have their job compromised and don't, you know, if they spoke any other way, or voices, you know, from women uh, including um, who, you know, might otherwise not have a forum at all. So mm-hmm. I agree that um, Twitter can, you know, and other social media can be empowering and they, the other point that was made that was constructive was that, you know, Facebook has banned anonymity and it's still, of course, and A, it didn't work and B, it doesn't stop trolling. So, you know, okay, I got educated by the by the reaction to that tweet, but I also got trolled and I got trolled, uh, you know, around the world. It was hilarious. Yes, uh, yes. And, um, and I think what happened to Rachel, it, it just speaks to, um, you know, much nastier than anything that I copped. And, you know, because they were falsely alleging a relationship, she had, you know, her sister, I think it was, it was so obscure, it was laughable. You know, she tweeted and clarified that I think it was her sister had one time had a, you know, uh, date with, you know, yes. backbencher Tim Smith. I, it was that obscure some years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was now overseas, you know, it was kind of ridiculous, but she was, but the, the hashtag I stand with Dan crowd, um, who it sounds like went for gay, have also gone for Rachel in the nastiest possible way and I mean I heard Virginia Trelli the other day just describe Twitter as a sewer and sometimes it really does feel like a sewer it doesn't feel like a public accountability mechanism it doesn't feel like citizen journalism it just feels like an abuse fest and uh and and it's off-putting and I, I don't think it serves any kind of democratic um you know journalistic purpose at all no no look I think I think we're I think we'd probably all be uh in agreement on that one we've all had moments and I know Gay and I have because we've talked about this where you just want to you know you you want to leave the platform and never return but we all return um now Tim Tim Dunlop has written about this issue on Twitter and his take is that journalists are getting attacked on social media because of a deep-seated feeling that the that people are being let down by the media He's also been critical of journalists calling out online attacks as trolling and out-of-control partisanship when he sees it as valid criticism and that journalists just need to toughen up and be more open to criticism and not push back as a group. Do you think he has a point, particularly when it comes to situations where it gets abusive, as it did in the Baxendale case, Gay? Um, I read uh, Tim's uh, Twitter thread and I always find him interesting. I think that his general point is that you know you, you know the journalists can get um, defensive, and I think he said, look, you know that that the journalists will sort of pull out the really abusive stuff and say, isn't this terrible, and very rarely address the actual substantive criticism, and that sometimes that's got some validity. And I think he's right on that. But th- but are hundreds of people attacking you all at once, and often quite personally, is that really valid criticism? No, I don't think it is. Um, I don't think it is. And I also think he he way underestimates the sort of intensely partisan nature of a lot of Twitter debate. As I say, talk to people off Twitter. Like, you know, tw- Twitter is not does not represent, you know, most people at all. Talk to people off Twitter and the discussions is much more interesting. Mm. I, I don't, although I do think 
Um, I, I don't support at all the trolling that Rachel put up with, but I do think there is anger on Twitter about the uh, distortion that News Corp brings to quite a number of very important issues. I do. And so if you work for News Corp, then you're, you're going to get some flack on that, whether you deserve it or not. And I don't support trolling in any way. But I, and I do think her, 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 her questions were valid and she wasn't the only one asking tough questions from Andrews. But, but News Corp is such a distorting force that honestly, a lot of journalists don't really want to talk about because it's clubby, and we sort of know good friends who are there. We know there are good journalists there, um, and you know the yes. mainstream media kind of avoids. You know, it's the indie media that kind of discusses the 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 influence of news core on some issues, like climate change is another one. Mm-hmm. So and Twitter is really alert to that stuff. I think. It's- it's- yeah, it's such a hyper-partisan place, though, isn't it? And I, and I just wonder whether, you know, if you were a hard-working, honest journalist from News Corp, you, could you get a break on social media? Does it matter? Um, I, I think there are lots of excellent journalists from News Corp and, and you know, they do some lot, lots of excellent journalism. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's we've got to this point where, and this is a broader point maybe, um, Monica, than you want to raise, but we're increasingly polarised as media. You've got more and more people reading what they want to or viewing what they agree with already. Mm-hmm. And and so that's almost, you know, you, you see it from sometimes with The Guardian saying, oh, that's just The Guardian view. You've got this left-wing view. So there's there's less trust, I think, of kind of honest, straight journalism and it's it's influenced by, oh, you would say that because you work there. Um, no matter almost where you work, whether it's the Saturday paper or whatever it is, and that's, I think, a significant problem, um, you know, it, not just on this particular issue, but it's, it's, you've certainly seen it rise on this issue. Mm. I, I, I wonder also about this issue that, that um, and I think it could be a conflict in the, in the heart of being, at the heart of being a modern journalist. We're often told, you know, get the scoop, hold the powerful to account, um, always be available, have a strong social media presence these days because the number of followers that you have is actually quite important to your employers. Um, we are in a kind of clickbait era of, of journalism. Has that really screwed up how we even define ourselves as journalists? I mean, is there a case to be made that whilst we're accountable to the audience's that we serve, we also need to have some distance from them, just as journalists shouldn't get too close and chummy with the, the politicians that they cover. Paddy, what do you think? Oh, I don't, I don't know about distance. I, I really enjoy and um, I enjoy Twitter and um, I know how to work it. Um, and, you know, I, I have never really warmed to Facebook. Um, I'm sort of suspicious of it. I don't feel like Twitter's trying to sell me anything. Um, so for whatever reason, um, I'm, I stay on it. I, mm. I think sometimes that, um, you know, you do get leads or you make contacts with people that way. Um, and sometimes still there is the vestige of an interesting debate or conversation that does happen. And, uh, and yeah, I, I suppose I was, I was surprised when I, you know, did what I thought was a perfectly innocent um tweet saying yeah i agree with these sales i was surprised that the reaction against blue ticks uh yeah so it's funny you know i was listening in yesterday to the um senate um environment and communications committee hearing on press freedom and you know the alliance for journalist freedom is proposing something in the nature of journalist accreditation which would be um something like twitter's blue tick uh that's what peter grester was talking about yesterday 
uh, what I found, and it was an eye-opener for me because I don't even remember how I got a blue tick. I know that it was when I was working at Crikey, but I didn't apply for it. I just popped up there one day. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, there's a hatred of blue ticks, as though the blue ticks are the... It's uh, a sign you know, of elitism. The elite or the corporate media or the, you know, and um, and I was getting trialled by people from the States who wouldn't know me from Adam, uh, you know, and, you know, the UK and, uh, yeah, and he's, yeah, the typical blue tick view. And yeah. I thought, oh, holy. So that's neither left nor right um, in my mind. That's that's kind of, I don't know what it is, if it's, you know, uh, anarchist or, or what it is, anti-elite probably, as you say. But yeah, I, I think um, yeah, Twitter has been has been good. It started good and has turned kind of problematic. Yeah. And uh, and and I'm there, but I don't enjoy it anymore. You know, I don't have the moments of fun have kind of are now kind of diminishing. And the and the number of times when I open it up and and um, and get turned off are kind of you know. Yes, I'm with you there, brother. So, so, Gay, I mean, as a you know, journalist, we're there to serve the public. Uh, we're not there to be people's friends or act like celebrities. Do you think as professionals we should just get the hell off social media? What do you think? Uh, look, I'm ambivalent about Twitter too, and every so often I sort of pompously announce I'm going off and then I always get dragged back. But because um, it is interesting and it's vital. Um, I think that what worries me is that, uh, I mean, look, at the last federal election, Twitter was just completely out of touch in term, in my view, you know, in term, and I kind of thought never, ever, ever uh, should, should news organisations take their news agenda from the Twitter uh, storms. They should not. And I, I'd worry that they do too much. You know, I remember when, you know, Scott Morrison went to the church and put his arm up and so on, and the whole Twitter verse seemed to think, well, he's lost the election. Australians won't like that at all. And I don't think Australians cared about that at all in the end. So I'm very wary of, and, and if I spend too much time on it, I can get caught up in the what what Twitter thinks is outrageous. Yes. And I, I worry about that a lot. I don't think journalists at all can get off social media. I think it's vital. I like the pushback. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. Often I read it, if, I, if I'm on it too much, I find it really stressful and not helpful in terms of trying to think through, think, think through issues. But I, I do think it's vital. I'm still on it. Um, I, I don't mind the pushback. I know a lot of people on Twitter think journalists don't like the pushback at all, but I think most of us are open to it. And I, I've had things corrected and I've thought, yeah, you're right, I'm, that's wrong. I'm going to get that corrected in the, in the paper. So it's, it's good overall and certainly for marginalised groups it has been their source of getting their voice out where in a lot of mainstream media for many years it's been a bit clubby and a bit gatekeepery and it, for, 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 for marginalised groups that is their voice and, it, and that it's become a powerful voice and that's a good thing. But, um, but there's shoutiness too, particularly on social media, about who should actually have a voice. And, and uh, you know, one of the things I think that's been startling about the last month is we see people resigning from the opinion papers, say, of the New York Times, you know. Uh, there have been some notable ones there. And we've got calls for some views to be cancelled completely. We're now so sure that, you know, one side is wrong and morally corrupt and the other isn't. I, that, that is a kind of corrupting element of social media. Do you think it's too late to... To build a bridge to the other side, and you know, how do you correct that that corruption of social media where it's actually cancelling voices? Gay. 
war. <laughs> um, look, I watched the New York Times debate with with great interest, and um, it worried me. I've got to say, it really did. Uh, it, it it worried me that we are in this, and it's not just in the media; it's in in publishing, it's in in lots of other areas where um, social media backlash is at least part of the you know at least part of the cause for for you know people losing their jobs over what I would think is 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 it's impossible to have a, a nuanced conversation on Twitter. It's it's not designed for that. That's not its role. Um, but you do see uh, social media getting people sacked or social media getting people trolled or piled on, and I don't like that at all. What we do about that, I, I kind of think, um, I, I'm not entirely sure. That's the that's the culture we're in. You can be, you know, I've, I've raised issues sometimes you know, questioning population growth in Melbourne, which was growing very quickly, you're very quickly called a racist if you do that, very yeah. quickly. Now, I can say, okay, tough, you know, that I'm a journalist, I can have that pushback, but it, it quickly descends to questioning your motives and not, and, and, and not having the actual discussion about an issue on Twitter. But I don't think Twitter's designed for those sorts of discussions. I just don't think it does. So, yeah, you have to, as a journalist, I think, uh, limit it. And be engaged. There's nothing more boring than someone who just tweets their own stories and self-promotes. People want personality, want you to have a view, um, but it can come back particularly now to bite you very, very hard and to sort of assume you're saying things you're not saying. But I do think we need to, to limit it and never, ever, ever think that that's what the majority of people think because mm. Twitter is very distorted in its, in its, in its outlook. I'm also wondering whether we're at the point, given the business model problems that media faces, where and you know, in, and within that, where clicks are so important and social media is so vital to producing those clicks, where as an industry we need to maybe think about drawing the line and saying, out with commentary, out with advocacy journalism, let's do the job that's expected of us, news, let's do it straight. I mean, is it even possible to get back to that point, Paddy? Um, I'd like to do that personally, uh, for what that's worth. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, um, and I've, I look enviously sometimes at some of my, I suppose, investigative journalist colleagues who just don't go on Twitter at all. Yeah. You know, uh, yep. never went there onto social media because they never saw it as their view to have a, as their role or job mm-hmm. to have an opinion on anything that was, you know irrelevant and not the point and not what they're there for do you think it's possible though to return to those times no uh no i don't and um and so i always have in my mind i remember a conversation when i was at the herald with um adele ferguson who said um that you know she manages to um have a column and also do investigations and have a contact book without doing access journalism, you know what I mean? Like she, she mm. is someone who seems to be able to do it all. And what she said to me, I remember, was analysis, Patty, not opinion. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and that's God, I defy anyone to, to, to define that strictly, but, uh, but it is worth shooting for just as accuracy is yeah. worth shooting for. And Monica, I'm you know, maybe hopelessly you know, optimistic, but I do think we can get back to that. And I think that one of the... One of the lessons from this pandemic, and we're in the middle of it, is what people really want is accurate, 
information that is calmly delivered about the science and about the health. I think that uh, some of the pushback and all this that we've been talking about today is because it's got back to politics as usual so quickly. You know, we've seen the Fed's leaking against the Victorian government and, and vice versa. Um, you know, back to the sort of same sniping. And I think I think there is a genuine want for straight reporting. Um, I really do. So mm. and maybe, as I say, that's that's a naive view, but I, I think it's been held out in this pandemic. They don't want a, a spin based on what your what what organisation you work for. They want honest, straight, trying to find the truth as much as we can, um, given the given all the restrictions that we we all face. So I, I, I kind of naively think people are crying out for that kind of journalism and and the the increased partisan journalism. I hope is. Uh, is actually not what people want, where you don't trust the journalism you're reading. You don't, And there's some organisations where I do not trust the journalism I'm reading, and I don't think that serves democracy, you know, at no, all. No, no, indeed it, would, it doesn't. But, I mean, it's not just partisan journalism, is it? It's also, I, I think for me, that one of the big issues is the way journalism uh, generally has swerved into the commentary um, lane and and the degree of advocacy journalism that we now see, which is startling and which often um, masquerades as as straight reporting. I mean, I think they're the kind of fine differences that worry me. Do they? Does that kind of journalism worry you as well, Gay? Uh, yes, it does. I'm, I'm, I'd love to have some examples from you, but it it does. And, you know, some of it you see quite a lot in the newer um, online publications, whether it was BuzzFeed or, or um, uh, um, Crikey even. I mean, they, they have a position and you can tell that they uh, have, 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 are pushing a line. Well, they're the examples that I'm talking about, yes. Yes. So uh, uh, it, it does worry me. I just I, 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 I don't quite trust it. And mm. I'm not saying I want he said, she said journalism. No one wants that anymore at all. That's kind of dead. And I'm not saying that it should be, you know, uh, it, it, it shouldn't t- take a position. I, I think it's, it's, it's a common thing for journalism to have a look at an issue and try to find out what as close to the truth is and present that truth without sort of being so removed and pretended, pretending to be objective that it doesn't have a point of view. Mm. But I do think I agree with you. In the last few years, we've got into a lot more advocacy journalism that sort of is pushing a line and trying to get a result. And as a reader, I, I, I don't trust that. But it's, it's popular, I think, because, again, as I say, we're reading more what we want to read and not our, our prejudices are really... Um, challenged in a lot of the media that we're consuming so it, it, yes I, I guess my answer is it, it does worry me but I, I, I have this you know weird hope that actually people would prefer something that's straighter because when I do read a piece um, that I think gee that's been well done and has gone into all the issues and it's, this is the conclusion it draws it's a relief. Well, that would be and that would be a piece of journalistic analysis as opposed to advocacy so there, therein lies a difference I guess. Um, Look, I think on that note, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you both very, very much for your time today. It's been um, really interesting. I don't know that we've solved all the problems of journalism, but we've certainly dissected them. And maybe we should should get ourselves together again in a a couple of months and and re-look at this uh, COVID period and the reportage of it. But thank you both very, very much for your time. Thanks, Monica. Thanks, Monica. Can I just say one thing? We're a, a more diverse media is part of the issue. And um, and I think that, you know, we're an all-white panel and part of what 
what what social media is calling for is not for you know us incumbent journalists to do things differently, but to get out of the way. Yes, and that would be great if only there were more people of uh, diverse backgrounds in the media. Uh, Stand by on that because uh, Media Diversity Australia has a new report which will be coming out uh, next week on precisely this issue, so uh, you'll hear more about that one. On that note, I'd like to thank Gay Alcorn and Paddy Manning for their time. And thank you for listening to The Fourth Estate. This edition was recorded at the studios of 2SER and heard across the country on the Community Radio Network. Fourth Estate is produced with the assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation, so thanks to them for their continuing support. And make sure you subscribe to Fourth Estate on your favourite podcast app so that you can hear us talk media, politics and, of course, everything in between. We'll be back with more next week, but in the meantime, stay in touch with us on Twitter. Our handle there is Fourth Estate AU. And as always, thanks to my producer, Anthony Dockwell. My name's Monica Attard. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you.